Okay, can we start? Yeah. Welcome to Desperate Pod, especially <laughs> heinous. I'm Gabe. <laughs> I'm Tasha. We are on season six, episode six, Conscious. Conscience. I do the exact same thing with that word. I bet it's one of the most common mix-ups. Mm-hmm. Conscience. Conscience. Mm-hmm. All right, so the opening scene, we're at this Chuck E. Cheese type arcade nightmare place. Mm-hmm. There's children everywhere, and there's this mom. She's like cleaning cake off some kid's face, her son's face, not some kid. She's just like randomly like wiping some kid's face. It's her kid. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, off of the bed. Awesome start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the older one is playing with the presents from the party, and she's like, dude, this is not your birthday party. And he's like, whatever, mom. He wanders off, and she's like, God damn it, and goes looking for him. She lets go of her son's hand for a fucking second, a split fucking second. Mm-hmm. She comes back and her son is fucking gone. The little one. It's like every parent's fucking nightmare. And it's the older one's fault. Yeah. <laughs> he was a little fucker. He's like, I'm not doing anything. You know what? He was a kid who was struggling with the fact that it wasn't his party or whatever. This woman, of course, is also only credited as Mrs. Morton. Ask me if her husband gets a name. Yeah. Not just a name. <laughs> A title involving a lengthy education, but we'll get to him, Dr. Brett Morton, (laughs) in a bit. We'll get to him in a bit. She's like, I'm just a missus. I have kids. Look at this birthday party I planned. Uh Uh-oh, one of them's missing. That speaks to my ability to be a parent. And he's like, I haven't shown up to a birthday party in six years, the length of our oldest kid. But by the by the end of it, I was like, like, because at one point she comes and hugs him and you only see the back of her head. And I was like, oh, my God, that's right. He has a wife. <laughs> anyway. So now this arcade place is a crime scene. There are responders and SVU are on the scene. Benson and Craig and are doing a walk and talk. There were four parties going on at the venue, a few hundred people in the building and no one saw shit. The block's on lockdown and the city is being searched. Benson and Craig and hop into one of those mobile van cop paddy wagons with computer things or whatever. Yeah, a command unit. So it's a mo- it's yeah. like a it's like a fucking tour bus but full of detective equipment. It's it's yeah. a yeah, it's a fucking mobile station. Yeah. One of those hashtag van life people would fucking jizz over one of those. They're like, I'm gonna shit in a bucket in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Stabler shows them a pic of the boy from the mom's wallet. Craigan wants flyers put up everywhere. The mom didn't see shit and was so upset that she had to be taken to St. Vincent's Hospital. Her husband is with her now. Craigan wants Munch to go and get a statement ASAP. An officer gets a call. Someone thinks they spotted Henry down by Broadway, but turns out it doesn't match the description. Henry has brown hair. The way that Benny got on the phone, too. The guy turns around real quick and he's like, we've got a sighting. Benny grabs the phone. Benson, SVU, description? Mm -hmm. No, he has brown hair. Fuck that kid you're calling about. (laughs) Thanks. She hangs up the phone. There was a kid spotted alone, a small kid spotted alone. And she's like, nope. (laughs) Toots is looking over the security footage and he sees Henry. And you can see the moment his mom let go of his hand to look for the older brother. Henry is Mm -hmm. running around with a yellow balloon. And at the very last screen, you see the balloon on the floor, but no Henry. He was taken when he was out of camera range for five, like five seconds. There was the tiniest gap. Between in where the camera had access to, too. So that was a very obvious snatch. Yeah. There's not footage of Henry at the front entrance, so they must have gone out the back. Benson and Stabler leave the mobile command unit. 
Kragen's like, Walensky, get the fuck out of here. Blah, blah, blah. He's waiting by the barricade. This Walensky guy is part of a vigilante group called Association for the Protection of Children. They actually have the right to investigate and make, make citizens arrests. But last time they got involved, they almost cost SVU a conviction for button in. Kragen's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, this Malcolm Walensky, Mike Wazowski. He's been in a lot of shit. Well, he played a desk sergeant in seasons one and four. As soon as I saw his face, I'm like, I've seen you here before. And we've had some lengthy conversations with him as the desk sergeant. Um, and he was also in Sharknado. Oh, that's where I recognize him from. No, I've never seen Sharknado. <laughs> I think he played like background person number eight, but... He played the NATO part of it. <laughs> NATO. <laughs> Stupid. So Kragen tells this dude it's fucking Sunday and he needs to chill. Stop listening to police scanners and get a fucking life. Kragen asks some cops to kick Walensky out and his group back behind the barricade. And if they fucking stick their little bitch noses in to arrest them for obstruction. A woman is talking to Stabler and toots and tells them she saw a guy dragging Henry down the street. But she thought Henry was screaming because he was throwing a tantrum, not being kidnapped. She saw the guy force the kid into a red jacket and a blue baseball cap. And she saw them go into the subway. Benson Stabler fucking book. Can you imagine the like replay of guilt for that lady yeah no i can't imagine to have, like, i can't imagine like feeling the oh it'd be awful this lady that they end up talking to she has a couple of mentionable credits in my opinion she's been in two recent podcast series wallace sprague dog psychiatrist and jessica darby zombie lawyer interesting so Benny and Stabes are talking to the subway attendant she saw the guy and henry she thought he was henry's dad Henry was fighting and kicking. The guy got a Metro card from a machine, but it only takes credit cards. So Stabler makes a call to get all that info. Uh, don't let this Metro employee's small role fool you, by the way. She's got acting credits and you've got mail, Pootie Tang, Mad Men, Weeds, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm. In 1995, she played Mama in Don't Let Your Meat Loaf. <sighs> I did a lot of IMDb-ing. <laughs> At the apartment of Jeffrey Jackson, SWAT and SVU are bussing into that apartment. No. <laughs> you know what? I officially resign. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. Don't leave me. Yeah. Yeah. I capitalized bussing. That's not even. It's not the meaning of the word. I know. Thanks, cool Gen Zer. <laughs> I was just going to say. It's not even what bussing means. Mom. I thought I was just going to say when you were like, I know, I was going to say, okay, Gen Z, <laughs> you got there first. <laughs> Where were we? Bussing into the apartment. <laughs> At the apartment of Jeffrey Jackson, SWAT and SVU are bussing into that apartment. <laughs> just kidding. I want to keep my friendship. They are battering, ramming into the apartment a man's voice and a little boy's voice can be heard yelling from the other side. So they're like, fucking get in there. Mm -hmm. Pew, 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 pew. So they bust in, they all run in, and the adult man is like, mm, excuse me in my apartment, and gets detained by Stabler in the way that Stabler insists on doing. He grabs a dude like by the back of the head, fucking slams him against a wall. Uh -huh. Benny pulls the boy away, squats down, and tells him, it's okay, Henry. And this fucking kid, this fucking kid's like, oh, gee whiz, who is Henry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, ma'am. You have the wrong little boy. Looks like a little SVU mix around. Musical chairs, anybody? This ain't the right kid. 
the adult man with his apartment door busted in, shoved up against a wall, gets a tiny bit angry. JK, he's a fucking Mount Saint. I'm going to sue the shit out of you. Give me your badge numbers. Helen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He was blowing and not mm -hmm. in the way that we all enjoy. He was not happy. <laughs> Theme song. True story. I fucking shot up in bed the other night remembering that I made a joke about the American flag being in the intro of SVU like seasons ago. But I was like, oh my God, I made a fucking, look at this fucking shit, this American flag waving shit in the theme song of SVU. And in that moment, two nights ago, I just realized that it's because that used to be a shot of the fucking Twin Towers mm. and they did it after 9-11. Oh. So that's why, that's why. What an ignorant fucking asshole. I, know, I didn't think of it. I didn't. Oh, Jesus. I'm like, when did they start doing this? After September 11th, 2001, Tasha. I didn't notice. And uh, I mean, all I know is that these, these colors don't run. So. Yeah. Well, never forget. Apparently I did. I did. And I think it came up in like season two or three. And we're now in season six. And I was like, <gasps> this was the most extreme version of I forgot that table's ranch for me ever. <laughs> All right. Anyway, theme song. God bless America. So now the whole team is outside at the mobile command, the street side little mobile command thing. The costume designer for this episode was fucking on today, okay? Toots is in a half-zip Old Navy pullover fleece. Stabler's wearing a cute little jean jacket. Craigan's in a members-only jacket that only he and my dad could fucking pull off. Benny's in a perfectly tailored olive green military jacket. And Munch is dressed like a subway flasher. Henry's been missing for... <laughs> Everything suited each person. Mm -hmm. Henry's been missing for three hours. Toots wants to get something with Henry's scent to use for the canine officers. They need to go see Henry's mom and they need a new photo um, because it was the photo's fault that they busted an innocent family's apartment. <laughs> the photo that they do have is a year old, which is huge with little kids. Yeah, it, it genuinely is with a kid that age cut to me crying over one year old videos of my kids and how much older they seem now. Mm -hmm. It's 100 percent accurate. If it's six months, you should probably get a new photo. Yeah, I just came across that video of me and Jacoby on that sled mm. going down your hill. And I was like, oh, he was so little. That was only a couple years ago. I know. So OK, at the Morton residence, Henry's dad gives Stabler a six week old photo so they can update the flyer. And he gave them a pair of Henry's dirty socks for the dogs. Mr. Morton gave his wife a sedative so she could sleep. Excuse me, Dr. Morton. He's a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. What's his wife's name? Nobody knows. He doesn't even know. Henry's mom. This dude, the dad, he's also actor Kyle McLaughlin, the corrupt yet handsome mm -hmm. executive VP of Slate and Company, Cliff Vandercave, in the 1994 film adaptation of The Flintstones. Mm, I love this guy. He was the mayor in Portlandia. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. He was He was in Twin Peaks. Was he in Sex in the City? Twin Peaks. That's what I, yeah. He was, yeah. Well, he. I think he was in Sex in the City, too. He was in Twin Peaks, Showgirls. He was in Sex in the City. He was... Trey McDougal. Sounds hot. <laughs> He's uh, the dad's voice in Inside Out, which I love that movie. I don't think I've seen it. He's a few different characters actually in Portlandia. Uh, he'll also be back to SVU in season 13. So everybody knows this dude's face. He's got a chin for days. Mm -hmm. He tells the detectives he doesn't think there are any patients that would be threatening to Henry. He works with your, quote, garden variety neurotics. Mm-hmm. 
Just then, reoccurring Officer Green comes into the house. A kid from next door saw a guy hanging around the house earlier that morning. So detectives go outside to chat with him. Mm -hmm. I don't know how annoying this is for you, but I'm super into everybody's credits this time. I just want to tell you one of this kid's credits. In 2007, he's in a movie called Totally Baked, and the segment he's featured in is called Smoke Pot Not Cock. Okay. Uh, It's a satire. Yeah. (laughs) I say why not both. I was just going to say. (laughs) (laughs) It's a satire. So at first I was like, um, okay, that aged poorly. But it also maybe a take on, you know, assumptions made by tight butthole people about weed. Like, oh, like, I don't, I don't, I've never heard that. But weed makes you gay. Jerking off fucking makes your palms hairy or makes you go blind or whatever. You know, so or maybe. Do you ever see Reefer Madness, the old one? Oh my god, yeah! Where you, like smoke a joint and chick like jumps out a window. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> it's that that jazz music. <laughs> it's like, okay. The neighbor boy's name is Jake, and he's a real fucking leave it to Beaver. Yeah. He tells them that while he was in his driveway fixing a skateboard. Ollie, he could see Henry playing in his yard. The man was in a black Toyota, not the plug Toyota was looking for, SVU, but okay. <laughs> he was a white dude wearing a baseball cap and sunglasses. He didn't look at the plate and is, gosh golly, oh so regretful that he didn't tell his mom that morning when he saw it. Mm-hmm. That's all he's got. See you in the funny papers, detectives. I don't trust this kid. I right know. Right off the fucking bat. Yeah. I'm going to tell you. My prediction skills were dead on the entire fucking time. Yeah. He could have had like a fucking slingshot in his back pocket. He would have set that up to look. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. Sorry, officers. Oh, better get to toe tapping off to my newspaper route. This kid was. Right. So I don't trust him. We're going to see him again. Mr. Morton and Stabler walk away and dad asks Stabler, what are the chances of finding his son alive? Stabler doesn't really give him an answer, but tells him the next steps they're going to take. They're going to put out the description of the man, run that vile demon Toyota that he was driving <laughs> and get the dogs on Henry's scent. Mm-hmm. So now we're back in the city. Stabler, Toots, and Benson are back at the arcade birthday place scene. Toots tells them that the bloodhounds are on their way from Coney Island where another child is missing. They're worried because the dogs aren't going to be there for like another hour and they're going to lose the light and the scent trail. Mm-hmm. Munch pops up and he has a shoe in an evidence bag. The search team found it in a gutter six blocks away from the party location. It matches what Henry was wearing. Stabler says, I'm not going to sit around here waiting for these dogs with my thumb up my ass. And I was like, whoa, season six. We got ass and pube. Cube. Holy shit. So Stabler gets on all fours and starts sniffing for Henry. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I was taking a drink of water. (laughs) Gets on all fours. (laughs) With this tide dragging on the ground. Okay. That sounds so much hotter than what you mean. (laughs) He's going to check with the sex offender unit to see if they got a hit on the car. So now Stabler meets with whoever at the sex offender office. There was nothing on a black Toyota, but they did get a hit on a 95 dark blue Honda. The car belongs to the mother of a dude named Billy Turner. He got out of jail two months ago from a molestation slash kidnapping case. Okay. Too early for all this. So his kind of M.O. would be he would case preschools, wait for the parents to show up, and then follow them home. But Henry goes to a preschool on the east side. The sex offender cop dude says that the location of the preschools don't seem to matter. The last time Billy got collared, he drove up to Hastings. Gross. 
I'm going to start calling him Turner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Billy Turner. I'm calling him Turner. He works at a plating shop. It's closed on Sundays. So Stabler's going to go check out his apartment and wants a sector car to go check out the workplace and see if he has Henry at one of those spots. So now we're at Turner's apartment. When Benson and Stabler come in, they can hear all kinds of screaming and they fucking run over to his uh, door. Fucking Walensky is already there standing over Turner while he's sitting in a chair, yelling at him with his finger in his face. And Benny and Stabes are fucking pissed he's there. Like, what the fuck? Remember Walensky? He's that fucking guy from earlier. Yeah, he heads up the anti-child abuse. Craig, yeah, Craig is like, get out of here. Yeah, he's like, I'm helping. Yeah. Turner is in the SVU Five Timers Club. Five episodes, five different characters, including the incomparable season one, episode nine, Stocks and Bondage. No. Who was he in that? I don't know. I didn't take a note of it because I was like, do we love it now? In hindsight, do we love it? (laughs) He's like, hey, you guys need any whips? (laughs) Only these ones that house diamonds or weed. What's this episode about? <laughs> My mom doesn't love me. I work at her nonprofit. I brought you a cake. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen the secretary? <laughs> okay. Turner tells him that he didn't take Henry and he says he's, quote, cured. That's bullshit, of course. Stabes grabs him and tells some cops to put him in a car and wait for CSU to get the apartment. Stabler's furious still. Walensky found out they were looking for Turner on the police scanner. Stabler grabs him by the collar and throws him around. (laughs) He's like shaking him. You know, yeah. he's like, oh, my God, I'm so glad that you caught all that, too. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what are you doing? And the guy's like, whoa, this, this guy playing Walensky is like, this is my specialty is getting flopped around. I go completely limp. <laughs> yeah, he was just I mean, the only way I can describe it was he was flopping all over the place. Yeah. His head, his arms wiggle city. This guy, he was wiggle city for sure. <laughs> he was wiggle city. <laughs> Stay was like, you're done with this. Do you understand me? Walensky threatens to file a complaint for police brutality. And Stabler says, you're lucky I don't charge you with assault. And But he says it like he's fucking wasted. Did you hear that? He's like, you're lucky I don't charge you with assault. I didn't catch that. You didn't catch that? No. Oh, it was weird. I was too busy watching this guy raggedy Andy himself <laughs> all over the fucking room. Yeah. <laughs> Walensky says he didn't touch the, quote, baby raper. But dude trashed Turner's apartment. And Benson says that he could have destroyed a crime scene, you fucking idiot. Stabler tells him if he interferes again, he's going to fucking get charged and then makes Walensky leave. Bye. Back at the precinct, Benny and Stabes question Turner in one of those blackout restaurants where you're led to your table by the servers wearing night vision goggles. (laughs) Uh, It's dark in there. I'm going to run out of these pretty fast. Uh, Turner says that he was at the laundromat all morning and he doesn't even, quote, have those urges anymore. But they just keep grilling him like Mm. some... Tasty Bushes grilling beans. Roll that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> Turner can't even look at the photo of Henry Stabler puts in front of him. He said that his psychiatrist told him he shouldn't, which I'm like, okay, yeah. Benson brings up taking little boys for rides in his mama's Honda. She says mama a bunch. Mm-hmm. And I know it's to be shitty and I like it. Does she know what you do in that car? I called your mama and she said you borrowed the car and you didn't bring it back. He tells her somebody stole it and Stabes gives him a sure Jan or you dumped it because it was full of fucking evidence. Mm-hmm. Benny keeps harping on about Turner's mom and he snaps. and He's like, you leave my mom out of this. Fucking she doesn't flinch. Cucumber cool Benny goes, 
Mm -hmm. As soon as you tell us where Henry is, Mm -hmm. Stabler tells him that someone saw him in the car that morning outside Henry's house. Just then, Craigan comes in with an update. The bloodhounds caught a scent. From the door, Craigan looks right at the dude and goes, we're going to find that boy, Billy. And Stabler, who is just hovering over dude's shoulder from screaming in his ear, whispers, you son of a bitch, we better find him alive. Mm -hmm. And then he takes off. Yeah. All the detectives and other cops follow our hero, sweet, perfect German shepherd down the street. She's Mm -hmm. on a scent. We don't get to know her name. So I named her Franny. Mm -hmm. Franny leads them to a door with a padlock chain on it. The door that the bloodhounds had found tracking Henry's scent. Their names are Cooper and Rusty. They also (laughs) didn't get names. Those are also names I gave them and they're correct. (laughs) Okay. We get a full bod shot of Stabes just absolutely killing that Canadian tuxedo. Jean jacket from earlier, perfectly matching the denim pants, jeans, I believe they're called, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) as they're all hoofing down the street to this alley. So as they're walking in, Stabler's like, call an ambulance. And Benny, kind of sad, kind of knowingly, says, not yet, Elliot. And he just responds louder, call an ambulance! And runs to find Henry in a pile of garbage. Oh, In the ME office, we find out that Henry is dead. Benny and Stabes lead the Mortons in to make an ID of their son. As soon as they get in there, Henry's mom breaks down and says that she can't do it. His dad tells her that he's going to do it by himself then. Mm -hmm. And she leaves the room. I don't think I could do it. But I don't know if I could uh, put that on John either. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. You think you'd call me to do it? That was me erasing the last 30 seconds of me talking. What? Do you think you'd call me to do it? Oh, my God. I don't know. I would. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Life isn't real. So Henry's dad is going to ID his son. Corner Warner pulls back the sheet. Dad confirms that it's Henry. He starts asking questions about it just really seeming odd at the time very logical filling curiosity i guess questions i don't know Mm -hmm. he asks corner warner if henry was molested and she said no then he asked about his cause of death and everything and corner warner said he died of suffocation she found pebbles in his trachea dad seems to pick up on that like what the intention was and he goes hmm to silence him. Mm-hmm. Cut to Stabler, fucking cocking his head like a curious little franny. It felt judgy <laughs> to me. Like it, it cut to, he's like, to silence him. And this is Stabler. I think they were all just like, it's crazy that how calm he is. Yeah. Later I realized that in the moment, yeah. uh, it looked like he was like, how would you know that? You're not a cop or as much of a dad. I'm it's, five times the dad. Yeah. It's more, I think, I think it was like trying to throw us off a little bit to be like, is he a suspect? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, later, as soon as Stabler was like, dude, he was fucking weirdly calm because mm-hmm. I never suspected dad, but I didn't either. In that moment, though, I was like, Stabes, you're being judgy. Let the dad make dad assumptions. Just fucking chill. Corner Warner also found brown animal hairs. The pebbles in the hairs were sent to the lab for ID. Me, dude, it's a fucking neighbor kid. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what that said about it, but I was like, I know the answer, you guys. They also tell Dr. Morton that CSU is checking the suspect's apartment. Stabler lets him know that he's going to be informed as soon as they know anymore. Dr. Morton tells Stabler that he's holding him to that promise and leaves. Mm. And they make fucking laser dad eye contact. Mm -hmm. And then they did a secret handshake that we've never seen and says, dad is Bond. And then he left. (laughs) Um, Corner Warner immediately knows that she said too much and apologizes to Benny and Stabes 
for oversharing with Dr. Morton. Benson tells her that she can't blame her. Dr. Morton was really composed. She was just giving stats. Like, these are the facts. Because that's how he was asking those questions, you know? Yeah. Stabler thinks Dr. Morton is a fucking time bomb waiting to explode. Right. He tells Benny they need to go back to Turner's apartment. At Turner's apartment, CSU dude found cat hair in Ryan's soda bread and Guinness (laughs) O'Halloran. Is that guy? That's the guy you're talking about? Yeah. So he found cat hair in the apartment, but no cat or litter box, which is weird. They checked the apartment building's incinerator and dumpster, but no cat or litter box anywhere. Dude says there were no pebbles found in his apartment either. Stabler kept asking him questions about vacuuming and if he checked the soles of shoes, like this guy doesn't know how to do his fucking job. And he was just like, yeah, I did all that. He got a little sassy, I think. I can't remember what he said, though. Oh, he goes... Oh, because Stabes was like, did you make sure to vacuum? And he goes, um, actually, we fucking tweezered the shit. So we didn't find pebbles. You do your job. I'll do my job. Yeah. And I'll do it better than you even think I should be doing it. Yeah. Benson gets a call from Munch. Turner's car was found stripped and torched. They need to bring Jake in, the neighbor boy, for a lineup. Hmm. Mm Hmm. In the precinct lineup room, Jake identifies number three and number two and says that they all kind of look the same. But that three is the closest, and it's fucking Turner. Novak tells Benson that this isn't that great. We all know IDs don't hold up well in court. And the cat hair still isn't enough for an indictment. They got to question him and get him to talk, or they got to cut him loose. I mean, I get that the ID can't be like, okay, this is our fucking smoking gum, you know? But mm-hmm. it, I'm never going to let that go. <laughs> uh, smoking gum. But, like, if they get a positive ID... And the detectives are in the room. All that does is give them, if it, especially if it's accurate, you know, but all that does is go, okay, we can focus on this person more. Mm-hmm. J- it just funnels the suspect pool more, you yeah. know, but the false ID, then it really fucks you. Right. Also, Jake is supposed to be 13 years old, but he looks like he's like nine. And yeah. it's, I don't understand how they do this because they'll have like a 17 year old who looks like he's fucking 32. Yeah. He's this kid's basically Haley Joel Osman in The Sixth Sense. <laughs> I mean, and they're like, this kid has pubes for real. <laughs> pubes. This kid has fucking pubes. And it's like, mm. Pew, 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 Later in an interrogation room, Benny and Stabs are going hard at Turner. Jake made a positive ID and the damn cat hairs. He yells that he doesn't have a cat and his landlady's cat wanders in sometimes. But Stabler cuts him off. He's like, I don't want to hear about your damn landlady anymore. It's over. You stalked that little boy and the music gets all swelly. You snatched him. You got into his pants and you wanted to keep him quiet. So you shoved rocks on his throat until you choked to death. Turner still says he's never killed anyone. And he's like, only talking. Touched. Yuck. Yuck, 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 yuck. He then admits that he did something he shouldn't have. He violated his parole and doesn't want to go back to prison. He's scared that he will get raped every day. I think that's, they they fuck with people that are like child molesters, don't they? Oh, yeah. They call them chomos. That's right. Benson tells him she'll make sure that doesn't happen, but that he needs to tell her what the fuck was going on. He says that he knows he's not allowed to be alone with kids, but that the lady that lives next door to him asked him to babysit her kid. So back at the, you know, we're in the precinct, bullpen or whatever. I don't know what the fuck. Toots gives, what did we start calling it? What is it? Not a bullpen. It's squad room. Squad room. 
Toots gives Craig an updates while they do a little walk and talk. Turner wasn't asked to watch the little, little five-year-old boy in the building. He volunteered, of course. Right. Apparently, he never touched him, but Turner was with him from 8.30 to 11 and never left. There's no way that Turner could have made it from babysitting to where Henry was in the amount of time for the crime to take place. Toots gets off the phone and says that the cat hairs don't match either. Turner isn't their perp. And Novak's like, fucking let him go or we're going to get a lawsuit. Like, go. Benny and Stabe skirt up to Turner's building. Walensky and his anti-child abuse group are protesting to get Turner out of the neighborhood. Benny gets out and tells Walensky he's violating some shit and needs permits that he doesn't have, but he keeps ignoring her and yelling into his bullhorn, getting the crowd all riled up. Mm -hmm. He riles him up enough until somebody throws something at the SVU car. They just got that thing fixed. Remember the damage? Yeah, it was a bottle. It shattered on the hood. Yeah. The detectives slam Walensky onto the hood of their car and arrest him for inciting a riot. Did you see that, though? What? On the hood, there was all that glass. Stabler pushed his head down in it, and it's obvi- yeah. obviously like prop glass. But I was like, are they going to like, come up with blood, and it's going to be like a whole thing? But there wasn't. It was just weird. I was like, you can't oh. fucking slam his head down onto a because of the broken bottle. the police brutality thing earlier. Yeah. yeah, but that's like how this is how he does it. You know, onto a pile of glass, yeah. a guy's head. Onto a, a lot of things on a pile of glass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fucking stapler. Okay. Another cop pulls Turner out of the detective's car and is going to take him to a different car to wait for parole. I was wondering because they're like, "Oh, we got to cut him loose," and I'm like, "Um, he admitted to a parole violation." So, mm. uh, but they did. Walensky is getting manhandled by cops as he turns to Staves and goes, "Thanks for making me a hero." I'm like what? Shut up, dork. Benson gets a call. They need to leave. Who do we get to go meet at the crime lab but one Ryan McDougal, O'Brien Cosgrave, Durst, Farmhouse Cheese O'Halloran? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. Ryan Punch a Horse O'Halloran. <laughs> Remember from Far and Away? No. Tom Cruise punched a horse. <sighs> he would. Ugh. It's from a movie. It's when he, it's the movie he met Nicole Kidman. Oh, that makes it okay. Ugh, so hot. Sorry, I just hate Tom Cruise. Well, yeah. The pebbles from Henry's trachea are Colorado quartz. There was a print on one of them. I bet. I fucking bet. You're like, we just did these. He said the rocks were porous and that's how he got prints. And I was like, everything else that's porous doesn't like gun handles. and Okay. Yeah. These rocks were in this kid's trachea, right? There are all kinds of fluids and all sorts of shit. We don't need to go down this road because we all we all realize that that has never happened in real life. If you know of a situation, if you or someone you know is aware of a situation (laughs) (laughs) where that actually fucking happened, these rocks, they're pebbles. They're pebbles. And he's like, oh, I got this tiny little fingerprint off of here. Don't worry. I have an explanation for it. I borrowed the technology from NASA. We have it right here. Good thing they have it because the prints belong to a child, but they don't match Henry's prints. Uh Benson asked to see the pebbles, and because these are the best two detectives in a two-block radius, they recognize this bag of rocks. They look like the ones from Jake's driveway. She was like, these look familiar to you? She's like, Jake's house. And I was like, what? What? No, you didn't. That's not, no. (laughs) That's not, no. (laughs) The band begins to play. Hillary Clinton comes out with a trophy for me because I've got it all figured out. But then she wanders around in awe of all the falling celebratory (laughs) balloons. It's a a grand event. (laughs) So, yes, we need to go fucking talk to Jake because there is some math that ain't adding Mm -hmm. up. This kid's never even met a horse. (laughs) Horse math. (laughs) (sighs) 
back at the precinct, they've got Jake in an interview room and Novak is looking at him from the other side of the glass and is talking with Benny and Stapes. Gabe won't let me do another side of the glass right now because Craig is not there and I get a treat every time I do it right. So <laughs> There's like a little attachment on your computer that... <laughs> I push a button and it comes out of this little thing right outside of my cage. <laughs> Novak wonders how Jake chose Turner, a convicted pedophile, out of the lineup. Mm -hmm. How would he have known about Turner? And my initial guess was maybe he was abused by Turner, but too many things didn't connect. Mm -hmm. Benny and Stabes go in to talk to Jake. They're not going to go hard on him yet, though, so they're playing the, hey, bud, we just need to uh, follow up on a few loose end witness thing, okay? Mm. They tell him that Turner actually didn't kill Henry, so Jake says he guesses he chose wrong, and it was number two from the lineup. Jeez, I'm sorry, guys. Oh, jeez, it must have been number two, not number three. <laughs> sorry for the language. When I say number two, I don't mean a duty. I mean that man. <laughs> and they were like, Nah, dude. <laughs> and they were like, nah, dude. Number two was an off-duty cop. And he's like, oh, you said duty now. No. <laughs> Do you have all of that written down? No, I didn't funny. have any of it written down. Oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> I was trying to think of uh, old-timey shit, old-timey kid stuff. Do y'all have a hoop with a stick I could chase through the precinct? <laughs> precinct? <laughs> Jake is she he's super G Willikers mister mm -hmm. like this entire interview and it makes me hate him so much more and I'm really glad it was him because I was like I hate this kid so much he better be fucked up <laughs> and he's like gee I'm sorry I'm real sorry that I couldn't help y'all out mm. I only saw the picture for a minute and I told the other detective that I wasn't sure if I'd be able to recognize him again <laughs> your face <laughs> Oh, gosh, I wish I could be a more help. <laughs> <laughs> it's your face. I wish you had. I wish everybody could see it. <laughs> uh, Benson goes, what, what, what? What do you mean, other detective? And Jake says, it was a guy who was a guy. Oh, it was that other detective. He was kind of bald with a mustache. And Benson just gets up and fucks off out of the room. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. Jake's mom says that these questions are absurd and asks if they even talk to each other. I hear that, mm -hmm. by the way. Benson drags Walensky in, who's just bobbleheading all <laughs> over the place. This guy can't stop his wiggles. <laughs> And Jake's like, yeah, that's him. That sure is the detective that showed me that picture. <laughs> this guy fucking showed him a picture of Turner before the goddamn lineup. Yeah. So now Staves gets up and grabs Walensky and goes, excuse me, um, detective, could I have a word with you? And fucking drags dude and his whole mustache <laughs> out to the squad room and back to the holding cell. Walensky thinks that he helped get the suspect. He's like, you got him, didn't you? I helped. But Stabler's like, dude, it's the wrong fucking person. Buy fake cop, you're going to jail. Mm -hmm. Just the level that he's interfered is uh, criminal at this point. Yeah. Back in the interview room, Jake's mom wants to know what the ding dang dick is going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Stabler tells her that Jake identified a man that he had never seen. You made it up, didn't you, Jake? Jake says he did what the detective told him to do. Benson asked about the cat hair on Henry, and Staves shows them the bag of pebbles from Henry's trachea and asks, how were these found in Henry, Jake? And Jake says, oh, Henry must have picked them up. Then Jake's mom gets a little wary, like, oh, shit. Looks at her son and goes, what are these detectives talking about, Jake? Yeah. Jake's like, oh, this is Tommy Rod. I swear I don't know. 
<laughs> Benson says that Jake knew that Henry's mom was taking him to the party. He was seen at the party and on the fucking subway. She also tells him, we've got fingerprints on these little stones. Okay, buddy? These little pebbles that were obviously from your driveway. Obvious to anyone who's ever set foot on your driveway. We recognize them right away. And she gently picks up his soda can and goes... Mm, I think the fingerprints might match yours, the stones, right? Mm-hmm. He's sure in a pickle now, folks. Jake starts to fucking cry. Yeah, like really good cry. Really good crying. He's a good little actor. He goes, I was scared. Henry saw him chasing a cat in the neighborhood and Jake fell on it and it died. <sighs> Henry told Jake he was going to tell on him for killing the cat. And Jake said he didn't want to go, quote, back to that camp. And that if his mom found out he killed the cat, that his mom would send him back. Him being like, I fell on a cat and it died and he saw it. To me, that's as believable as the time a dude told my x-ray tech friend that he fell on a lamp. And that's why the round end of a light bulb was stuck inside of him when he came to the ER. But <laughs> Is that for I'm real? glad he was willing to go get help. But she was just like, sure, bud, whatever. Let's just get this thing out of your ass because this is not good. <laughs> How does that not break? I don't know, dude. I think it's like an egg. You know how an egg has like the perfect amount of pressure? It didn't break and they got it out without breaking it because believe me, I asked that question. Jake says he didn't want to do it, but he was scared. And his mom confirmed that, yeah, she sent Jake to a, quote, tough love place that was supposed to mm -hmm. help him. And he yanks up his sleeve and shows them burn marks all over his arm. He says, they burned me, cut me, and stuck things in me. He was tortured by the other kids there. So Benson adjusts her tone and gets really gentle about it, but tells Jake's mom that they still have to arrest Jake. Mm -hmm. So Jake's mom is going to call a lawyer. Yeah. Benny and Stabes go to Dr. Morton's house. You know, Henry's dad. He can't believe it. He says that Jake and his boys are all great friends. Benson asks about the boot camp Jake went to. He's like, yeah, I totally recommended the camp because Jake was kind of acting out after his dad died. Stabler tells him that it looks like Jake was brutalized there. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Morton, he's like, oh, my God, I had no idea. Stabler tells him about what happened to Jake, and Morton gets really upset. He asks if he can see Jake, which is crazy that they let this happen, but I don't mm -hmm. know. Now we're in arraignment. Novak requests 500 k for bail. Jake's lawyer says he's a fucking kid, and she wants house arrest with an ankle bracelet. But the judge says no because she wants more security than that. Mm -hmm. Bail is set. The court is adjourned, and Stabler brings Dr. Morton over over to Novak. He wants to know if he can speak with Jake and she lets him. Like this child killed your kid. You still think you'd want some separation. Yeah. But whatever. But there's that guilt element now that he's like, oh my god, I set this whole thing in motion by sending this kid to this fucking camp. Yeah. Novak calls over Jake and his lawyer, Cleo. Reoccurring character attorney Cleo Conrad. Yeah. Jake comes over and he's crying and he apologizes to Dr. Morton and he says that Henry was his friend and Dr. Morton's like, I know. But he wants to know why. Why did he kill Henry? Jake tells Morton that he doesn't know why he did it. Something is wrong with him and he's just like crying so hard. Oh, Dr. Morton asked what Henry said before he died. <sighs> that he just wanted his mommy. Mm. And then Jake is led away. Dr. Morton asks what's going to happen to Jake. Novak tells him that Jake will be tried as an adult and he's shocked because he was thinking it was just going to be like till he's 18. Mm -hmm. He lost a child and doesn't want another child's life to be lost to the prison system. He doesn't want this for Jake. Right. Stabler brings up about how he's actually a dad. In fact, he's the best dad. Better than him for sure. <laughs> right. And he can't imagine what he's going through. Dr. Morton says that sending Jake to prison isn't justice. Stabler tells him that it is not his fault 
that he recommended that camp. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make him responsible for what Jake did. Morton says that what Jake did was not entirely his fault. He's had a hard life. Novak lets him know that that evidence will be introduced in trial. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're not just going to fucking throw him away. We're going to have a trial. Right. She's all about due process. She's like, hey, this is, yeah. you know, let me explain the yeah. system to you. He tells Novak that he's sure she has the best intentions, but she's wrong. I made a note. What? This is what I said at this point in the episode. Dude, this guy's going to snap and fucking kill Jake. Yeah. Ooh. That's what I said. And then all caps, I went back and put, get the balloons ready, Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> this was a great episode, by the so way. So good. Novak and Wong are doing a little walk and talk. Novak wonders if she is actually wrong. Wong tells her that Dr. Morton is stuck between his anger and his guilt for recommending that camp. He feels responsible for the abuse Jake suffered, and he thinks if Jake hadn't been abused there, he wouldn't have killed Henry. Novak thinks that a lot of kids are traumatized, but they don't go out and kill other kids, mm -hmm. which is true. Right. People use excuses like that for kids, and she brings up bullying being the excuse for school shootings. Novak asks Wong if he knows anything about this camp. He's heard of it, but he He's never heard of any abuse there before. It's called Rhinebeck Survival, and it's run by this psychiatrist named Bert Gleason. Novak and Huang are at a camp with tents and shit, walking and talking with Gleason. He's wearing a fishing vest, so we know he's either a camp director or Gabe's dad. <laughs> Gleason says that... <laughs> he looks like... What's his face? I thought, I'm like, oh, you know what? It's this guy, and all of these kids are lying to cover him up. And yeah, that was in my thought too but i was pretty oh. set on the kid but also um he looks like the guy from pcu the camp director camp right doesn't he look like the dean from old school really whatever his name is oh my god um jeremy piven yeah he looked like jeremy piven to me that's who i thought it was I for a second go back and look really mm, yeah i should go back and look okay so i was like oh famous guy oh, it's yeah. him mm -mm. No, this guy didn't have really much going on in his credits. I didn't even make note of it. Gleason says that Jake should have never been to the camp. He's very disturbed. The camp is for kids with behavior issues, not a kid with serious pathology. He's implying that Jake is super fucked up and the abuse by bunkmates were just accusations made by Jake. They want to confirm this, so obviously they're going to ask some of his bunkmates about him as well. Cut to questioning kids. He's sick, man. He's crazy. I knew this kid immediately. This kid that they first were questioning. He was in School of Rock. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like that red hair kid? I don't I don't really remember the kid. He was just super recognizable because I've seen that movie a hundred times. Cello. <laughs> it's a good movie. It is. Novak tells the kid that Jake accused him of assisting in his abuse. The kid says that on the second day of camp, Jake snuck behind him and hit him in the head with a boat paddle and he almost drowned because because Jake held his head underwater. Then when he let him up, he told him not to tell anyone or else. Another bunkmate told Huang that Jake threatened to kill him and that Gleason didn't believe the kid when he told him about Jake. The next night, the boy found a dead gopher in his bed. Ew. Another boy doing full underhand chin-ups tells Novak that he started working out because he's scared of Jake. Uh, I've never done a chin-up in my fucking life. I've done the ones where you like rubber band your knees, you know, but unassisted full chin up. Mm -mm. Jake was the one that lit the cigarette to give burns and would light himself on fire with a fucking lighter. You could smell his skin burning and he would just laugh. Like this fucking kid is they're getting a very, very different story. Huang and Novak got to go take this to mama. So they go to Donnelly's office. 
Gleason apparently told Jake's mom Jake needed to be institutionalized, but she refused, mm. threatened to sue the camp, and took him home. Jeez. He was also thrown out of two private schools for violent behavior and arson. His mom had to move him to Riverdale. Huang calls him a sociopath. He's glib. He lies. He has no remorse, no empathy. He's narcissistic and is extremely manipulative. Even Dr. Mm. Morton, a full-on psychiatrist, didn't see it because Jake is so good at lying. Donnelly says they need to send him to a hospital, but Huang tells her that many doctors think there is no cure. You can't grow a conscience. And Novak's with him and says that Jake needs to be tried as an adult. And Donnelly goes, you guys, it's too fucking late. Dr. Morton already came and begged me to move the trial to family court. <gasps> and the case oh, is being shit. held at that moment. Oh my God. I'm surprised that she didn't wait to hear their findings. It's Donnelly. She does whatever she fucking wants. I know, but Dr. Morton, who's a psychiatrist, yeah, she's more of a hard ass most of the time, and this is the one time she wasn't. Yeah. All right. Now we're in family court. Jake is released into his mom's custody. Novak busts into the courtroom and requests the case be moved back because they made a mistake. Then the judge is like, hmm, that's refreshing. I don't often hear that in my courtroom. Novak wants the case to be moved from family court to Supreme Court and try him as an adult, but the hearings have begun and double jeopardy is already attached. If she dismisses the case now, it's done. Novak says these are highly unusual circumstances and tells the judge about the lies that Jake told about being abused at the camp and the witnesses they talked to, those kids, and all his injuries he did to himself. Dr. Morton is fucking shocked. He's in the court, obviously. He stands up and yells at Jake, I believed you. I fought for you. The judge tells him to sit down and Stabler grabs him by the arm, trying to like get him under control. Mm -hmm. He fucking starts going for Jake and lunges at him and a bunch of people are holding him back and he's so fucking mad as he should be and says, right. you lying little bastard, you little prick, you should rot in hell, you murdered my son. And fucking Jake has like a little smirk on his face in court. You little prick. Yeah, he says that. Season six, mm -hmm. baby. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Morton is dragged from the court yelling that Jake is a monster and stuff. Out in the hallway, he's having a straight up panic attack and can't breathe and he says do you understand jake will get out when he's 18 he's a sociopath he will kill again and again and for some reason jake and his mom walk by them because they do that like a grown man <laughs> yeah. was trying to lunge at a child i'm not i'm just saying you they would have them separated exactly yes they would not just put your head down and walk <laughs> Walk by a guy that's like, you little prick. He's not gonna be like, oh, gonna squeeze right by you. No. <laughs> right. Like, what is this, Target? In Kenosha, Wisconsin. <laughs> Anyways, Jake comes over and sarcastically says, I'm sorry for what happened, sir. I really am. Oh. Mm. Dr. Morton yells, you're not sorry. You don't know what that means. You have no feelings. And as they walk away, Jake's mom tells Dr. Morton to leave her son alone. This fucking lady. Jake walks mm. backwards and like mocks Dr. Morton with his face, you know, like, mm. yeah. <laughs> Dr. Morton fucking runs over, grabs a gun from an officer's holster and fucking shoots Jake. I knew it. Uh, yeah. Stabler wrestles the gun from Dr. Morton. Novak runs out and goes over to Jake and his mom. Oh, is that what happens when you don't separate perps from their victims in courthouse hallways? Is that what happens? Mm. Seems to happen a lot on the show. I'll tell you what. Jesus. You know what's so weird is this kind of got a little out of hand. Almost as if emotions were running high in the courtroom at a fucking murder <laughs> trial. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Now we're in the precinct. 
Dr. Morton is sitting in an interview room. Stabler and Craigan are watching from behind the glass in Craigan's personal cart on the Mad Mouse at Little America. They're both <laughs> screaming with their arms up and screaming, ride the Mad Mouse! It's his own personal <laughs> cart, so there's a red velvet rope. Nobody else can go on it unless they're with Craigan mm-hmm. because that's how you're behind the glass. If it's just Stabler and Novak, they can ride it, but they're not even on the Mad Mouse. They're, in, they're just in a room. With their arms up looking like fucking idiots. <laughs> Stabler says he knew Dr. Morton was wound too tight and he should have seen it coming. I mean, we all did. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Cragen tells Stabler that it's fine because he doesn't know Dr. Morton like personally or anything. Don't beat mm-hmm. yourself up. Everybody thought that Jake was a victim of abuse from that camp. Benson comes in and tells him that Jake died. He didn't make it out of surgery. Stabler leaves the room and Benson goes to follow him. And Daddy Cragen says, Olivia, don't. Like, let him go. <laughs> Which, like, what do you know, dude? I shouldn't just said that. Sorry, Craigan. Um, sorry, Dad. Ooh, so Stabler walks out and fucking Donnelly walks up and yells at Stabler. How could you let this happen? This scene is so fucking intense. Like, they could have literally mm-hmm. got into a little fisticuffs and I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. Because they're both so yeah. intense. It was amazing. Yeah, they were like literally touching noses. Oh, I put down some of the exchange, but I guarantee that you did as well. So just mm-hmm. go ahead. Oh, yeah. Stabler tells her it's on her for sending the case to family court. She tells Stabler he stood there and watched Dr. Martin grab the gun. Stabler is sassy and says, you sure as hell put it in his hand. You don't want to say no to a grieving father? You're afraid the press will call you a cold-hearted bitch? <gasps> he dropped the bitch. Season six. I clutched my pearls. Mm-hmm. I mean, he said bitch so hard in her face. I know. I'm like, oh my God. With COVID coming? <sighs> Novak steps in between them and tells them to put their cocks away. She has a job to do. Slip those hogs back in their holsters, you guys. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Novak has a job to do. Stabler and Donnelly are just staring at each other, and it is intense. That shit is back at the campsite. It is intense. <laughs> we gotta make Gleason's that work back now. there with his fishing vest on going, I know all about this. <laughs> intense. <laughs> It is your dad. (laughs) Don't worry, guys. We're sleeping in tents tonight. Okay. That one. Okay. (laughs) No. Donnelly wants Novak to charge Dr. Morton with second degree murder and wants him arraigned by the next morning and takes off a stomping with those heels. You know, angry heel stomps. Oof. She's sensible heel, padded soles. Dr. Scholl's fucking... (laughs) That's what I was looking for. (laughs) Stabler now takes this out on Novak because she's right in front of him. And he says that she's just going to cover Donnelly's ass and sweep this all under the rug. His son was killed by a fucking psychopath. Stabler tells her to do the right thing. She saw him, that Dr. Morton was out of his fucking mind and that the charge should be manslaughter. Novak goes in to talk with Dr. Morton. He asks about Jake and asks if he's okay. They tell him that he died in surgery. Zirko, Dr. Morton's lawyer, wants second degree manslaughter with minimum time. Novak's like, why don't we just throw him a parade? (laughs) Zirko doesn't like her tone. And she also doesn't like 13 year olds being killed in the courthouse. Morton says he didn't mean to. He doesn't even remember grabbing the gun. He says he blacked out. And then Novak goes, oh, that's so convenient. Zirko tells her to have Huang examine him. So just do that. Go ahead and do that. And we'll see. At Rikers Island, in the interrogation room, Huang asks Morton to recount the shooting to the tape recorder on the table. Morton says he remembers walking out of the courtroom 
Nothing seemed real. Detective Stabler was talking, but I couldn't make out what he was saying. The next thing he remembers was seeing Jake on the floor with blood all around him. Mm. He knew he's the one who shot Jake because the gun was in his hand and he didn't know how it got there. Huang asks him about where his mind went when he found out Jake had burned himself. Morton tells Huang that he just felt like he had to get out of there because he couldn't breathe. And then when he saw Jake, he wasn't thinking about killing him. He was just thinking about Henry's face and his last words, how he cried for his mom. Oh. God. Well, cut to Huang and Novak doing a New York City streets walk and talk. Huang tells Novak that Morton presented a textbook case of extreme emotional disturbance. But it's almost too perfect because he's a fucking psychiatrist. Yeah. It's possible he's lying. I mean, he would know exactly what to say in that situation. But Huang's like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. I'm just giving you the information. It's your call. Just because he could be lying doesn't mean that he is. Right. Back at the trial. Back at the trial. Morton takes the stand. He says that he was overcome with grief and he knows he killed Jake. He can't explain that away. But if he had been in his right mind, he wouldn't have killed him. So as Morton's on the stand, Novak is in the background. Huang comes up and slips her this book with some pages bookmarked in it. The cover of the book says Adolescent Behavior Journal. She reads it super quick before it's her turn to question Morton. She asks Morton if he remembers telling Stabler about Jake being a sociopath that would kill again when he got out. And he says he doesn't remember that. But you do think that Jake is a sociopath. So you agree. You think you're really pretty. <laughs> yeah. Morton says that sociopathy can't be diagnosed in children. They can only be diagnosed with a conduct disorder. Novak replies with her information in this book, but you don't agree, do you? Morton sticks to his guns and says he adheres to the standards of his profession. Mm -hmm. Novak grabs the book that Huang had just given her and tells the judge she wants to enter something into evidence. Morton's mouth is wide open like, what? Like he and everyone else didn't just watch Novak hold that book in front of her face like a 1940s detective holding a newspaper on a stakeout. <laughs> he knew exactly what was handed to her. We all did. Mm -hmm. Novak has him read some of an article from 1992 regarding children with sociopathy that he wrote this is such a weird twist like yeah throw in the middle of nowhere at the very very end you think so i thought i thought so yeah i mean let's go back to me calling it very early on that he was gonna kill this kid yeah but like to say like well he wrote this random thing in 1992 and that must be what it is and you're like oh yeah oh. like having having a published super strong opinion about it yeah that is that is a far-fetched it was just weird i'm like it's almost like this didn't happen <laughs> i know right the big standout was him saying that quote we must take whatever measures are necessary to protect society from these amoral predators. So sitting on the stand now, today, he argues that article was from 15 fucking years ago. His views have changed, except he did call Jake a sociopath to Stabler. I mean, what? I just think it's weird that everybody's like, well, you said that. And he was like, he was obviously freaking out. I mean, he had to leave the courtroom because he couldn't breathe. I thought the same it's just, thing. Just like they're really being like, hey, you, you do all, you're doing all this on purpose. You wrote that 15 years ago for this moment. It's like just weird. I don't know. Right. Your child was murdered. They expect you to be like super you're calm down guy. Yeah. 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 He was in the room when he found out the kid killed his kid for real. Yeah. They aren't lying correctly. We would do it right. Yep. So, yeah, he called Jake a sociopath to Stabler. So they're like, what? 
you did. And he goes, dude, you guys, the words in the article were meant to find a way to protect others from sociopathic children. And Novak goes, and you found a way, didn't you? This is so weird to me. He argues that he didn't say they should kill them. They should be incarcerated for their entire lives. Morton argues that he wasn't thinking like a psychiatrist, duh, in the courtroom moment. He was thinking like a grieving father. Yeah. All of that makes sense. Yes. And then the very end, I was like, oh, shit. I know. Uh, <laughs> the unnecessary very end. I know. It was fucking, okay. So outside outside the courthouse, Stabler waits for Novak and tells her, you really went after Morton, dude. She's like, yeah, he killed a kid. She thinks Morton is trying to mess with them and the grieving father act is crap. Um, excuse me? Yeah, that was a little harsh. The grieving father act? That was a little harsh. Stabler says that if it was his son, we know, mm. if it was his son in the morgue, he doesn't know what his rage might make him do. He doesn't know how many fucking cups he'd throw around. He doesn't know what his rage would make him do on any given day. His yeah. socks are on inside out, rubbing at the edge of his toes, and he's like, ah! <laughs> Okay, so a woman walks up and Stabler gets served with a subpoena to testify for the defense. Ooh. Ooh. In the courtroom, Stabler's on the stand and he's getting cross-examined by Zirko. You know, M Morton's uh, fucking Attorney, Morton. yeah. He asked Stabler to describe Morton's emotional state when he went to the ME office to identify Henry's body. Stabler says that Morton was calmed, detached, obviously holding his emotions in. Stabler was worried that if Dr. Morton kept holding in his grief like that, at some point he would blow. He just lost a kid. Fucking give him a couple days. <laughs> Is this... Yeah. Okay. And also, wouldn't that be called speculation or something in court? Wouldn't yeah. somebody come, you know, object to that? Yeah. You're not Huang and you, whatever. Novak asked Stabler, since Morton was in control of his emotions, would it be fair to say that Morton acted like a detached doctor instead of a grieving father? Okay. Mm. Both? Anything? Stabler says yes until the day he shot Jake. Stabler is asked to repeat what Morton told him right before shooting Jake. Stabler says, quote, Jake is a sociopath and he's going to keep killing again and again. Novak asks him if that sounds like a psychiatrist or a father talking. He says a psychiatrist. What is this? Like... That's the thing, too. The it sounds like a psychiatrist. Do you know that lay people also know the word sociopath and use it incorrectly? You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, so if this guy is just like, just because somebody says something doesn't mean they're not blacked out. I like how we're both like, this is a ridiculous, it is a ridiculous argument, but then the end <laughs> yeah. happens. But they're acting, they're saying like, he's either a grieving father and then turns that off and is a psychiatrist. I'm like, you can right. be both of those things. I can be yeah. a sad tattoo artist. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. What the fuck? Novak asked Stabler if he thinks the shooting was a calculated execution made by a psychiatrist with the beliefs stated in the paper from 1992, which is insane to me. Yes. Like he was freaking out, went out. You saw him just grab the gun. He wasn't like, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> I mean, he did. And you guys also watched him learn about this kid's fucking sociopathy in real time. Yeah. After he basically got him a lease on life. You guys are talking like he had all this time to fucking sit and plan it out. Yeah. Or is it the act of a grieving father? Stabler says he doesn't know. To him, it seemed clearly grief and rage. I mean, at least not calculated to me. You know what I mean? Right. Later, Zirko asked the jury to put themselves in Morton's shoes, talking about losing control and acting out of grief and despair, and that the law says that's not murder. 
Novak approaches the jury, she's arguing that grief is not what made him kill Jake. It was an act that proves his belief as stated in the paper he wrote. God, can you he, he like shot the kid and right before was like, that paper I wrote 15 years ago is true. What? <laughs> you know what I mean? I haven't done any other research since then. And so this is always on my mind. <laughs> Novak says that Morton pretended he lost control and waited for the opportunity to kill Jake. I'm like, dude, it was like seconds after he found out Jake lied to him. Clearly it wasn't calculated and she's reaching. You know, that is a reach. It is. I mean, it's not, but it, but come on. <laughs> Morton is found not guilty. Court is dismissed. Morton hugs his wife, who we forgot about. Henry's mom. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> and uh, I know. I mean, she doesn't even have a first fucking name. So does she yeah. even exist? <laughs> Stabler leaves the courtroom. Novak looks at Zirko across the room and then leaves. Outside, Morton is being interviewed by the press. Novak and Stabler walk down the stairs together, holding hands. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Stabler didn't think Morton Why would Why did I laugh quit. like that? I don't I'm know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Stabler didn't think that Morton was going to get acquitted. Novak says none of this was about murder in the law. The jurors didn't want people like Jake running loose and Morton solved the issue for them. Stabler mm. says... We can't treat these kids, so we kill them. No one has the answers. Come on. Morton mm. comes up to them. Stabler asks him when he decided to kill Jake. <laughs> Morton says... This is fully unprovoked. This, yeah. Morton says it was in the courtroom. He looked around, saw the officer, and realized he could take the gun. He tells Novak that she was right. He did wait for the right moment. I'm like, oh, fuck. What? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. Stabler says that Morton manipulated them, just like Jake. And Morton says, the difference is, Jake would have killed again. I won't. He then walks away. Then the Seinfeld theme song comes on. <laughs> 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 it was just fucking... <laughs> 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 Toyota. <laughs> Toyota. <laughs> or it's the, uh, what is it, where he's like, toss salad and scrambled eggs. Whatever. <laughs> 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 Razor. Razor. <laughs> Oh. oh my god i murdered that kid on purpose <laughs> so we've talked about gary plouchet the dad who shot his son's rapist in season four episode 23 grief very intense mm. story of a father taking the law into his own hands and being revered and held accountable and people understanding the social justice of it all mm -hmm. but today because we've discussed that, I'm going to tell you about another focal point of the episode. Today, I'm going to tell you about Joshua Phillips. Okay. There's major trigger warning shit for the murder of a child here. I mean, I know anytime there's a murder of a child, there is a trigger warning for said crime. Yeah. But this was really difficult. On November 3rd, 1998, eight-year-old Maddie Clifton went outside to play in her family's Lakewood neighborhood in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, I hate it already. I know. It's awful. When Maddie didn't return home that evening, her parents, Steve and Sheila Clifton, filed a missing persons report. And the frantic search for Maddie began. Flyers, searches, tearful pleas on the news, a $100,000 reward. Nothing turned up Maddie. Police had a suspect pretty quickly. A neighbor of the Clifton family had been charged 15 years prior in two separate sexual battery cases. Mm. Both times the charges were dropped, but he was heavily on their radar. This was highlighted in the episode when they had a suspect early on and then were like, wait a minute, we've got these pebble fingerprints, you know. No, you don't. No, you. they didn't. They did not have that. A marble, maybe. 
A week into the search for Maddie, on November 10th, Melissa Phillips, another neighbor of the Cliftons, found an odd, wet spot on her son Joshua's bedroom floor. Concerned that his waterbed was leaking, she began investigating and found Maddie Clifton's body stuffed under 14-year-old Joshua's bed frame. Oh my God. Joshua had filled his room with air fresheners and Febreze and all this shit to cover what would happen to a body over the course of a week. They, like everyone else in Jacksonville, had been involved in the recent search for Maddie. Melissa immediately left the house and informed the police. Joshua was arrested at school that same day and shortly into questioning confessed to murdering Maddie. In his confession, he told police that on November 3rd, he had been home alone when Maddie came to his door asking him to come outside and play baseball with her. The two played together a lot, but Joshua said that he was hesitant to play that day. His dad was a violent man, a drug addict, and an alcoholic who enforced very strict rules in their house. One of them was that Joshua wasn't allowed to have anyone over when his parents were gone. For some reason, Joshua Joshua decided to head out and play with Maddie that day. In his confession, Joshua Phillips said that as they were playing, he hit the ball, which belted Maddie in the eye. She was bleeding and crying. Being that Joshua's father was due home shortly and the teen was so afraid of his dad, he panicked and dragged Maddie into the house. One of the many details is that he said as he dragged her into the house, the friction from dragging her took her pants off. Okay. Okay. When he got her to his room, he hit her with the baseball bat to stop her screaming and shoved her under his bed. Joshua left his room to greet his dad home from work. They talked for a bit, and after a while, Joshua went back to his room to find Maddie alive and moaning. This kid took the knife from his Leatherman, cut Maddie's throat, and stabbed her seven times in the chest. What? She would die there under her killer's bed and be left for a week. When police removed her body, her little hand was still clutching the bed frame, indicating that she had been alive after he had shoved her under the bed again. Oh, my God. Now, there were a few things the prosecution found odd about his story. The autopsy showed no evidence of sexual assault, but there was also no dirt or anything on Maddie's body that would indicate that her bottoms came off from being dragged across the yard. The autopsy also showed no evidence that Maddie had been hit in the eye with a baseball. Forensics found no blood in the backyard, and the only place there was any evidence was in Joshua's bedroom. Also, Maddie's older sister, Jessie, said that Joshua had talked about sexual things to her and her little sister. But despite that fact, he was a nice, decent person. He was a friend. He knew the family very well. That accounted for, and this is absolutely not to excuse anything, but we always want to know why or to come up with something to make sense of such an awful thing. This is where we insert Gabe saying explanation, not an excuse. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I honestly struggle to deem anything. Do I say that a lot or something? You do. Yeah. Okay, because as I've met other people that have said that. What? They'll be like, oh, as you say, that's an explanation. I'm like, I must say that a lot because Tasha does that too. Yeah, you do say that a lot. We're also talking about crimes and shit a lot, so. Yeah, oh, that's true. And looking at the gray area of things. No, I shouldn't say that. I don't mean the gray area. I mean, like, looking at, like, we're curious animals. Like, we want to know why. Yeah. But in the same breath, we don't want to excuse whatever. Yeah. So with that. So Joshua's mom, Melissa Phillips, believed her son took these horrific actions in response to the fear of his alcoholic abusive father. She had said, quote, I think if he hadn't been so intimidating and sometimes overbearing, he could be frightening. He could be loud and he could be unpredictable. Josh and I walked on eggshells. 
Joshua also confirmed that and said, quote, if I did something wrong, he always had kind of a short temper. And sometimes I never knew what he would do. Joshua Phillips was given a pretrial psych eval, and it was found that he had not seemed to be battling with any kind of depression or anxiety prior to murdering Maddie. He didn't show any signs of what he was capable of. Those interviewed from his school described him as a quiet kid, but funny and even popular. It didn't make sense to anyone. Joshua was tried as an adult for first degree murder. His attorney, Richard Nichols, argued, quote, Joshua Phillips is not a monster, but because of an act that began as an accident and deteriorated through panic that bordered on madness. There was a couple of pretty intense pieces of evidence for both sides that were deemed inadmissible as well. The prosecution wanted to present that Joshua had been looking at violent porn sites for 30 minutes right before the murder. And this could speak to many aspects of his mental state and intentions prior to killing Maddie. And the defense wanted to present neurological findings from a brain scan done on Joshua. A neurologist found lesions on the bilateral frontal lobe of his brain. Effects of frontal lobe damage are varied, but some include impaired judgment, changes in behavior, inability to solve problems, odd sexual habits, and difficulty controlling emotions, among a lot of other things. Mm. Interesting. Did they not do like a rape kit on her or anything? No, they did. There was no signs of sexual abuse. Wow. But it, they wanted to they wanted to bring it up ba- like because he was watching violent sexual shit, mm-hmm. which they wanted to argue contributed to his mindset before going out to play with an eight year old. Did he think he was going to like do some of that stuff and then like panicked and was like, I can't do that. But then was like, well, I can't let her go now. And like just killed her. I don't know. It's fucking weird. That's possible. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like it's, it. Like, it's really heartbreaking. I, I have no idea. Okay. Because, I mean, he, like, know, took her pants it? off, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. These symptoms, these um, frontal lobe damage symptoms would, of course, speak to not only his ability to handle the thought of getting in trouble with his unpredictable father, but also what to do to solve that problem. But, like I said, that wasn't allowed in court either. Mm. The trial of Joshua Phillips was held in Polk County to avoid the possible biases of Jacksonville. The whole city was obviously completely upside down after this. So getting an impartial jury was just a far-fetched idea. It wasn't going to happen. How do they do that now with the internet? I don't know. I don't Mm. know. I mean, obviously, it's a lot more difficult. Who knows? Especially with something so huge. They just have to have people go, I promise. Yeah. Yeah. 12 of us fucking idiots. I won't let stuff I might think be a thing that I think. (laughs) Yeah. All of us fucking. Oh, my God. So a super wild aspect of this trial was that this first degree murder trial lasted two days. What? That's very short. (laughs) Yeah. The defense didn't call any witnesses at all. It was pretty fucked up. Phillips didn't get on the stand. Nothing. This was a risky and bizarre move made by the defense. He was convicted of the first degree murder of Maddie Clifton and given a life sentence without the possibility of parole. At 15, this kid was sentenced to spend the rest of his life in prison. Florida had the death penalty, but being that he was under 16, Joshua Phillips was ineligible. He immediately began taking advantage of the rehabilitation programs offered in prison. With an above average IQ, he got his high school diploma. Four years into his sentence, he also received his 
diploma as a law clerk slash legal assistant and was then able to assist other inmates in their appeals. He began teaching GED science and math and by all accounts became a model prisoner. Mm. Like most inmates, there were a lot of appeals following his conviction. There were even members of opposing counsel that felt the charges may have been too harsh for the actions of a 14-year-old. This is over the course of a handful of years. I mean, people were, more information is always coming out about our brains and development and all that shit. In 2012, the Supreme Court ruled that sentencing juveniles to life without parole is unconstitutional. Mm. In 2016, through appeals citing this ruling, attorneys representing Phillips were able to get him a new sentencing hearing. Maddie's family attended that hearing in 2017. A huge focus by the attorney representing Phillips was not only his spotless prison record as a model inmate, but also on the advancement of the science behind brain development. Even former state attorney Harry Shorstein of the original prosecution in the case testified on behalf of the defense, saying that if he had known in 1999 all there is to know on adolescent brain development in 2017, he would have never gone for first-degree murder. Mm. During this trial, Joshua Phillips tearfully addressed the Clifton family. He said, quote, I don't pretend to know or understand your pain or to grasp the void I created in your lives. I can say this. I do understand pain. I have become quite intimate with suffering. Growing up in prison, I've seen many dark things and I've been some dark places. Many times throughout this journey, I came close to ending my life just to escape it all. During these times, I've been embroiled in a flurry of feelings and emotions, guilt, despair, pain, hopelessness, fear, and shame. Each time I was somehow able to continue on mostly because I couldn't stand to put my mother through any more trauma. She's been through enough. There were times I was angry at her because I couldn't end my pain because of her love. Yet now I'm eternally grateful to her. I'm grateful to her because as a grown-up, I've learned the value of life. I've learned to see the beauty and joy in a world full of strife and experience the truth of unconditional love. I wish to God that I could have known this or understood it when I was 14. Had I then, none of this would have come about. I had no clue what life meant, what death meant, nor the depths of suffering following one act. I had no inkling of how long that suffering could last. I had not lived long enough to understand the time involved or what real suffering was. I did something horrible. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what happened. Even now, after all these years, it's just unfathomable that all of this could have occurred. It tears my mind asunder to know that I stole such a precious life from you, from the world. I so wish I could take away your pain. I thank God that I've been able to continue on in life and grow, but not a day goes by that I don't think about what led me to where I'm at, not in prison, but in life. I pray every day that you're able to live your lives in spite of the injury I've caused you. I'm supremely grateful to have an opportunity at physical freedom, yet any joy that arises in my heart is immediately timbered by the knowledge that these proceedings bring all involved once again face-to-face with the horror that occurred in 1998. When I walk the wreck yard here in chains, I look to the sky through mesh wiring and I thank God repeatedly for giving me hope. My next breath is always devoted to wishing peace and healing upon you all. My hopes, fears, and wishes probably mean nothing to you, but they're there all the same. May you know peace, may you be free from suffering, and may you feel the love that is the sustenance of life itself. May God bless you and heal your wounds as much as possible. Hmm. Regardless of this, it's like, I appreciate that he took ownership sitting on the stand, and he had been in prison for, it was 2017, so he had been in prison for 18 years at this point. So he's an adult man who had spent most of his teens, his entire 20s, in a prison cell. Maddie's mom requested his sentence be upheld, and it was, but with the opportunity to have his sentence reviewed 25 years in, 
quote, based on demonstrated maturity and rehabilitation. That's 2024. Okay. He's not even 40 years old. Yeah. I don't know. TBD, TB, to be continued. I don't know. Who can talk about what the motives of a fucking 14-year-old are? Their brain is not developed. If he did have a deep-seated fear of his dad, disassociation is definitely a possibility. Did his mom leave the dad? I don't know. His dad died. I think it was a car accident. I didn't write it down. His dad died a few years later. Maddie's parents ended up getting divorced. That could be any. That doesn't necessarily speak to anything. Another thing that Joshua had said was that we, because it was like he was out looking for Maddie with the whole city. Yeah. Part of search parties and everything. And the way he described what his brain did to, I mean, he was sleeping in that room with her under the bed. And he talks about it now and afterwards and was like, I completely put it in a separate place and pretended like it wasn't real and was in this place of like not being in reality with it. Obviously. Wow. Jeez. I've never heard of that one. It's really fucking, it's a bummer. Super bummer. Here we are being bummers and shit. This is really shitty. I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. Let's have a fun one one of these days. Ugh. <laughs> Barf. Let's do a silly one. <laughs> Our next episode will be on December 5th. It's season six, episode seven, Charisma. I didn't dive too far into it, but it looks like it's fucking some like killer cult member or something. And it's going to just be mm-hmm. us bitching about religion. Oh, it's full on Waco. Okay. Also, I could not get past the fact that it was called charisma. And I just kept going charisma, uniqueness, nerve and yeah, talent. talent. <laughs> All right, you guys rate and review us. Email us at supod at gmail.com. Send us stuff if you want. P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. Follow us on all social media, Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff, at SVUPod. Get pod merch and more at SVUPod.com. Also, we have it on Public. Join the Facebook group, SVUPod Elite Squad. And we have a chat group called Walk and Talk. A book club. Somebody started a book club called Single Tomato. And hashtag little bit loud for all your indie pod stuff. And join the Patreon. We got tons of extra content. Also, call or text us and leave us your questions, stories, and comments, preferably ghost stories, 1-920-345-7005. Again, 1-920-345-7005. Woo! All right. Love you. Love bye. You, bye. Calling all the monsters. Calling all the monsters. Nationwide. <laughs> <laughs> is on your side. Where the fuck is my scarf? I don't like that sentence. Well, that's what they said in the thing. I know, I just don't like yeah. it. It doesn't speak to how I feel about you. Sure fuck feels like it. Okay. I don't like you for different reasons. <laughs> Lots of different reasons. <laughs> All I wanted to do was throw up in your lap and knead your boobs and shit in the house. <laughs> Stabler tells him if he interfered... <laughs> I'm from Sweden. If he interferes. <laughs> huh? Nothing. I'm just being stupid. Oh. But that's my favorite. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and to our Elite Squad patrons, Sonia W., Marissa M., Elki H., Annie G., Mary D., Andrew, Andrew. Rebecca D., Miranda B., Shelby W., Lex, Emily T., Kayla W., Mallory G., Benita R., 
Marin, Vanessa, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Kate H, Uyaga, Kayla J, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Katarina G, Wine Mixer, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Mac Attack, KCW, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Kaylin B, Camille Z, Nisha G, Maggie D, K Allen, Katie M, Eliza W, Crystal B, Jessica P, Zahn and J, Nada M, San, Christina D, Madison H, Emily on the open road. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was stuck. Remember from a Goofy movie? Oh, yeah. Roxanne, please don't forget me. <laughs> I will be back someday. Okay. Victoria B, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree D, Drew B, Amberly C, Sapphire, Monica K, Katie S, Trish S, Angela D, Brenna T, Andrea M, Natasha S, Andrea H. You know what it is? It's that you say it like Sapphire, like like in an accent that That was the only one I only time I did it with a southern accent. Oh Usually no, you do it with an Sapphire. A. You don't say you do, Oh no. There's plenty of times where you've done Sapphire. Like there's no I in there and I don't know that it's that specific part of it that makes me irrationally angry <laughs> move along stop doing it <laughs> no uh let's see andrea h miranda b al h nikki r gabe's aunt sarah hi aunt sarah <laughs> hi caitlin s emily d katie h lexi y nikki r Vern. <laughs> <laughs> Jetta B, Christina D, Catherine A B, and Ariana. We love you guys and appreciate you. It just means the world to us. Just means the world. My heart is growing in size. Do you need a break from modern living? <laughs> <laughs> Do you long to shed your weary load? Did you Google that just mm. to shed your weary load? That was Gabe's nickname <laughs> in high school. Did you say Gabe's nickname in high school? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Uh, yuck. All right. Mm-hmm.